Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our second behind-the-scenes Q&A special for Season 2 of The Sheridan Tapes. Uh, I'm Trevor Van Winkle. I am the creator, writer, and producer for the show. I'm Virginia Spots. I am a co-writer and producer alongside Trevor. I am Jesse Haugen. I have the immense honor of writing the music for The Sheridan Tapes. I'm Amitola Lomas, and I am a co-writer for episode 31 of The Sheridan Tapes. Excellent. Yes, that's correct. And you (gasps) had a huge amount of input on developing Marie's character for this season and her backstory and all that stuff, but... And being an inspiration for the show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As we said on our last Q&A, Ami is the inspiration for much of the Sheridan tapes um, because she she does just find, yes, things like that (laughs) out in the wild. All right. uh, So this one, if you listen to our last uh, Q&A special, this one's going to be more focused on behind the scenes stuff and writer type questions as opposed to stuff that was about the acting and production. So we're going to get into the weeds a little bit on how we make this show. So. Virginia, you want to kick us off with our first question? Okay, great. Uh, Thank you for sending questions in. Uh, It's always fun to answer these. And yes, I will try my best to remember to thank people for each question. If I forget your name, uh, the love is still there and I'm sorry. So (laughs) question one is, uh, oh, this one's for me. Okay. How did Trevor initially approach you to begin co-writing and producing the series? And how's it been so far? This is from Aries Jimenez. Thank you, Aries. Um, so the first thing that happened apart from, uh, me just acting in the show is, uh, at the end of last summer, Erin was getting ready to spend a few weeks with her family and she was doing like a lot of travel for that. So there was going to be this little lull in the show where Anna wasn't, you know, available as a character to do the same kinds of long stories that she has been doing. So Trevor asked me if I would like to write an episode, and that was episode 21, Cumulus. Um, And he wanted it to be something that was uh, character-focused, maybe something that focused on several characters at once. Uh, I came with a concept. uh, I think he initially thought it would be more like a B-side episode, and then um, apparently he liked it so much that he wanted to make it part of the actual show, and I was so excited about that. And then... um, yeah, that was very fun. I got to write a little bit for my character as well as for Rent Park and Bill. Um, and that was so much fun. I had so much fun like working with Trevor on that and seeing how he really got what I was doing with the script. And I somehow read into themes that I didn't know much about because he, <laughs> he gave me almost no extra background information before I wrote that. Um, and so... I guess this was on Trevor's mind. It wasn't that I just sent him an email and like shoehorned him into having me join (laughs) the crew of the show. 
that he was yeah, busy. Yeah, no, yeah. So I had I had so much fun writing that one with you and working with you on that. That I, and I wanted to do that, but I was I was humming and hawing about okay, how do I approach Virginia like this? Is this okay to ask? And then you just sent me an email. I was like, oh, okay, that yes. takes that, yeah. that answers that question. Yeah, I drafted like kind of a long email uh, of like here's why I would love to help you write season two and work with you a lot closer and like help you shoulder this burden and work through these fun stories with you. And uh, yeah, he responded immediately of like, uh, this sounds great. And I was trying to think about how to ask you about this. And I was just like fist pumping. That was like <laughs> such a good night. I That was like deep in the pandemic and I just needed some good news. And that was some really good news. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still deep in the pandemic, but you know, th that was like the deepest it had been at that point. So it's like, I thought that was anyway. That needed is a rambling. win. Needed a win. Needed a win. Uh, and it's been great so far. It's been fabulous. I've learned so much. I'm grateful for every step as it comes. So, yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to question two. So, ooh, okay, this is for Jesse Haugen. How did you come up with the respective character themes in this season? This is from Aries Jimenez. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's actually kind of hard. Um, this is this was different than what we had done with the Sheridan tapes up to this point. Um, for season one, we kind of more had themes for moments than for characters. And sometimes um, some of the themes sort of lent themselves to certain characters more often than others. But this was an, an exciting challenge. And the best part about this is we had a whole season done already. So I had a lot of source material to pull from when I was trying to draw some inspiration for what each of the characters themes would sound like um which i mean thinking back on it now if we had done this in season one there's just there's no way i mean you can read character bios but it's not the same as actually seeing the characters personalities come out through the voice actors but then also it, just seeing how the story develops and how um each of their unique parts in, in the story come to be. And so it, it was just, I mean, the the simple answer to that question is the way I came up with those character themes was just going back to season one and re-listening to some episodes, just sort of thinking back on the whole and and what every character was going through and where they were going. Um, some were still, I mean, if you remember season one, it was a little bit less of a multitude of deep characters like it is now in season two. And so mm -hmm. it, it was a little bit of kind of trying to imagine um, where these characters were going to go. But yeah, I would say actually it was one of the more challenging things musically for the Sheridan tapes, but I think it, I think it came out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mind if I just tag one little extra question on there? Um, yeah. You, in the, in the season one Q and a, you talked about what instrument each of these characters yeah. would be <laughs> if they were, uh, if you were to represent them, um, how much of that actually got into the character themes, if any. So this is like deep, 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 like dig stuff. Um, so I, I think it only appeared once, but I actually wrote like a, a Sam Bailey mountain theme on acoustic guitar. That's I think right. we hear it one time. I think once or twice. And so that was a direct, yeah, that was like a direct correlation to my answer. Cause I think I said Sam Bailey would be like an old acoustic guitar, dusty in the attic, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the only other one that really ended up uh, correlating was in, in, I think for Bill, in in the season one Q and A, I said I would represent him as a clarinet. Mm. Uh, yeah, some kind of wind instrument. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's not immediately obvious, but um, in his theme, if you listen to it on the soundtrack album, which you can get by becoming a Patreon, so you should totally do that. Great shout um, out. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm a professional. What can I say? <laughs> um, <laughs> we, uh, there's this little like, that's a terrible representation of the sound, but that's sort of what it sounds like. And it's actually a clarinet playing repeated notes. So the clarinet did make it into that theme. Nice. Yeah, nice. No, I, I, I heard that. I'm like, oh, did, did he sneak that in? I yes, think he I did. <laughs> yes, I did. I love Excellent. that because that was my question in the Q&A for season one. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, such yeah, a great question. No, it, it, was, it was Virginia Sports, remember? Yes. Oh, yeah, it was Virginia Sports. The elusive Sports. Virginia Sports. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all man. right. That's excellent. Um, all right. Question three. Uh, this is for Ami. You went over this in the Patreon podcast uh, that we did after episode 31. Uh, but for the rest of us, just on these public feeds and for the whole world, how was it co-writing Shadow and Sunlight? Well, it was amazing. I mean, I don't typically see a lot of representations in media, books or music or movies or anything that really makes me feel like it's a representation of what I've lived, like my family. And so, and I mean, there's similarities, just nothing that screams home, you know? And I was excited that there was going to be a Maria-centric episode, and I was like, oh, well, some backstory. And then Virginia reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I'd really like to interview you, and if it's okay, um... I'd like to incorporate some of your experiences growing up in a Hispanic family to uh, be part of Maria's backstory. And I can't describe how I felt in that moment because I couldn't believe it. I think it was the most validated I had felt in a very long time. And it was just almost kind of unbelievable that someone would go through those steps and take such lengths to trying to incorporate an outside perspective. That gave me a huge amount of respect for you, Virginia, actually, and I'm probably going to do similar things in the book I'm writing because of the example you set. And uh, just being able to incorporate parts of things that are very dear to me as part of it is amazing. It's, it's like this small piece of something that means so much to me is immortalized, kind of. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I feel like uh, like I did kind of the least that I could do in this situation. Like, I think in a perfect world, I would have probably wanted you to like actually write it if that was something that you were interested in. But I knew like for the sake of time and uh, you also have was just so much going on. Yeah, in a perfect world, yeah, <laughs> Ami would not be doing a 40-hour week job and doing an online school thing and, you know, having right. a life around. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and I, I was excited that you liked the concept that I uh, came to you with about um, Maria's fear of aliens kind of coming from her mom always talking about how they were either angels or demons and kind of that being wrapped up in like uh Catholic superstition and that kind of stuff. And like that, that's something that I believe I heard my mom allude to. We did, we're not Catholic and we're a white family. 
Uh, we grew up in New Mexico, so there was like stories of aliens kind of floating around uh, in legend as it does. But um, yeah, floating I, around. I see what you're floating saying. around. <laughs> yeah, that, that was not on purpose. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Yeah. Oh, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was like, yeah, why wouldn't I want to? quiz Ami about how she's felt about certain things in her life so that not only just for like character details but like seeing how you talk about things from your life I was able to put that into Maria as a character that that's how Maria talks about things. It was interesting to have like to see how you incorporated what I said about my experience with you know going to certain Catholic events with my mm. dad's side of the family because, you know, we weren't really raised super religious um, with my parents. They kind of more like turned us loose in the woods. <laughs> um, but for my dad's side of the family was very much traditional Mexican Catholic and we would be invited to events like the quinceañeras or the dances. And I just... It was interesting to see the juxtaposition between that and how you incorporate aliens into that. Because <laughs> as someone who grew up studying mythology, um, I learned very quickly that sometimes you just didn't talk about things like mythology around certain people. <laughs> I hope that we get to have you write an episode in the future. <laughs> and I know that you're going to continue contributing to Maria's character. And uh, yeah, we have some exciting ideas for how to make Maria's story just juicier and juicier but <laughs> good good um all right we'll move on to question four uh this is for trevor and i what does the post-production process look like so what goes into finalizing episodes getting the graphics posting it to various platform platforms platforms <laughs> social media advertising etc this is from aries yeah, on the last Q&A, I talked through kind of the process of getting everything to the point where it's all synchronized um, and you know brought together from all the different actors. And that's where the post-production process really kind of gets started. Um, I have a couple of... I've, I've It used to be a lot more willy-nilly um, in the initial stages of the podcast when things were simpler and I could get away with that. Um, there's definitely much more of a structure and kind of a you know process I go through now. Um, I first do what I call the either call the pre-edit or the sort clean organize pass, where I basically take all of the audio files we've got, synchronize them, uh, run a, you know, clean up the background noise process, make sure everything is synced, um, try and match uh, levels of reverb and kind of room, not room tone, but just room quality to the sound as much as I can, you know, removing reverb from some people adding it to others just so it kind of sounds like people are in the same space when you know they are in the story uh, as much as we can with remote recordings then uh organizing that all by scenes takes um getting it all in a nice big timeline where i can see it all clearly then i take that and do um an initial dialogue and music edit which is just just the dialogue and just adding in kind of a rough pass at where i think certain music cues should go in the episode then kind of then that's when the sound design begins. Once I kind of do a review of that, make sure everything sounds and is paced out right. Um, then it goes into sound design. I generally start with the very specific uh, sound effects and foley that we need to communicate the story. Um, so footsteps and movement and very specific actions within the scene. Um, 
then to more kind of general environmental noise and ambient soundscaping, uh, go through a few passes on that kind of, you know, scene by scene, and then just listen to the whole thing from, you know, uh, an export of the entire sequence uh, without the sound design done, do a few, you know, adjustments based on that where it's needed, usually send that off to Virginia for uh, review as well. So if she catches anything I miss, then that doesn't end up in the final episode. <laughs> Because uh, it will, if I, you know, if I didn't. But um, always good to have a second set of ears. Uh, and then once that's done, uh, we move on into creating the upload package. So on my end, that involves uh, designing the thumbnail for the episode uh, in Photoshop using various uh, stock photos um, and things like that to build up the image. Um, writing the description for the episode, writing the content warnings, making sure that's all set. And then sending all of that off along with the final episode to Virginia for transcripting and social media stuff. Yeah, uh, the transcript is pretty easy because we already have our recording scripts and usually it is almost exactly or pretty close to what the recording script was. Um, I use a website called Later for social media scheduling so I can like plan out the Twitter and Instagram stuff ahead of time. The only thing I have to do manually then is like manually posting to Instagram because it doesn't let you do anything else. Um, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's kind of it. And then we celebrate and we uh, check a box on Trello and wait for things to come out and, and watch, watch the live yes, tweet threads. Yes, watch the live tweets. Yeah. So that's, Trevor, do you ever hear like people's line readings echoing in your head or like before you go to sleep, <laughs> like because you listen to it so much? No, thankfully not. I, I, I've finally been able to turn it off, thankfully. Um, <laughs> you found the switch. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a if I if I let it echo and, you know, don't get to sleep, then I won't be able to finish this tomorrow and it'll be. Yeah. So. OK. Thankfully. I've so got, it's like yeah. the survival mode. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> Can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So for the nerdy among us, what do you, I've, I've actually never even asked you this. This is a genuine question. What do you edit? What software do you edit the show in? Um, I edit the show. I do all of it basically in Adobe Audition, um, Creative Cloud okay. version. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of it, honestly, but it is what I know and I can work very quickly in it. Um, we have been having a lot of issues with um, kind of it choking on the longer episodes or the episodes with lots of characters yeah. and lots of effects um we got to get you in a real duh <laughs> fair enough fair. yeah yeah we'll get you there if i can ever get enough of a break to learn one um <laughs> that's right that's right yeah. but i just i just right. i initially liked working on audition because it was very similar to adobe premiere which is what i use for video editing right. um mm. and it just but yeah there are a lot of technical limitations especially when you get into 30 45 minute ep long episodes with you know with 50 tracks billion. and a, yeah, a billion, yeah, yeah. A, you know, which I've, you know, we found work workarounds, you know, using buses, simplifying things down. Um, but yeah, it has, it does choke quite a bit. And every once in a while it gets just decides it's not going to export the episode. Um, you know, it's an, an actual working file. So that's uh, what, yeah. <laughs> well, all nice. that being said, I think we would be very happy with 
Adobe Audition if uh, they want to sponsor us. So, hey, Adobe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hold all opinions until we hear about the sponsorship. Yeah, hit us up. I don't send know them why. an email, Virginia. You seem to yeah. have a lot of luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Just send a cold email. Hello, Adobe. Yeah. <laughs> Adobe, the conglomerate Adobe. Just address the whole company. Info at adobe.com. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. A contact form. I mean, at some website. point, yeah. At some point, a conglomerate probably achieves like a mass consciousness. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's more than any individual brain in the in the organization. <laughs> yeah, if I just have the right vibes, yep, they'll hear yep. me. Yeah, yep. Great. No, e- no emails, out. just vibes. Sam Bailey, reach out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's do question five. This is another one for Jesse. What does your musical process look like in regards to uh, designing the music for the Sheridan tapes? This is from Aries. Yeah, so while Trevor and Virginia and everyone else is recording like weekly and barely <laughs> getting stuff and fighting Adobe just to get exports, um, I'm actually just a fan. So during the normal series, um, sometimes <laughs> we need supplemental music um, in between for special things like the karaoke scene in season two. Mm. Uh, that came during the season. But for the most part, I actually, most of my work happens before we even start the season. So I get a list of, um, I think I talked a little bit about this in season one Q&A, but I get a list of sort of cues and and moods. and Or in this case, we did a lot of character themes, just musical moments that we're going to need. Um, and then from there, I'll sit down and I kind of have a body of work at this point. There's quite a bit of Sheridan Tapes music to pull from. So I'll sort of you know, try to keep it in the world of the Sheridan tapes, which actually musically is pretty big. Like I, mm-hmm. I would be hard pressed to find something that would feel off limits. I feel like um, Trevor's just given me a lot of freedom. And so we've done a lot of different things. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll sit down, I'll uh, read over what Trevor thinks this musical track, let's say needs to be I'll, um If that's a character, I'll do some more research on the character, do some thinking about it. I'll sit at a piano. I'll sort of, come up with initial ideas and then I'll get into um, Cubase, which is where I write all my music on my computer. And then it's just tweaking and playing and sending to Trevor and getting his thoughts and just sort of building it up and imagining it, trying to feel what it'll feel like under dialogue. Um, This is kind of embarrassing, but sometimes I'll read over it just to sort of get an idea of what it feels like. Just make up my own wild stories. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll never record that. But um, (laughs) Dang it. That would be great for a blooper reel. Yeah, I do want to know what Jesse's version of the Sheridan tape sounds like. Yeah, Yeah, me too. (laughs) Maybe one day. That'll be like a super special season three blooper. Fair enough. It'll just be me reading over the next series of cues. Uh. Um, But yeah, that's, that's that's the general process. And then from there, I just get to sit and listen to it like everyone else, which is honestly a unique joy compared to a lot of the other stuff I, I work on. That's so interesting. Yeah, we do very multi-purpose, almost stock music type cues, You know, very specifically designed for the show and the world and the emotional tone of it, but they're designed to be reused and rearranged and mixed together in the episodes, which is yeah. what I do in that step of the music edit is, you know, choose those cues from, you know, the wonderful library Jesse has provided and, you know, arrange them in, you know, to match the story and the, you know, emotional tone of each moment. So 
he gets to he gets to yeah. be surprised by it every once in a while. Exactly, which is really fun. It's also fun. We were, we were I was talking to Trevor a little while ago. It's obvious sometimes when he sort of gets not stuck on a cue, but there's one he's like he just really likes it and he thinks it's working. Mm. I'll start hearing it like more and more <laughs> in a couple episodes. You can just say gravity, Jesse. You can. Just- <laughs> <laughs> it's gravity. It's all gravity. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, anyway. It just worked for so many moments in the end of the season. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Anyway. I'll take it as a compliment. It's awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay, this next question is from Canonstein, and it's for me. Uh, can we have more Lara Smith? Her general frustration and bewilderment is something I identify with. So for those who don't remember, Lara Smith was in episode 29 and 36 Uh she was the uh, cow rancher who didn't want the government or CIA taking away her guns. Um, and she, she's great. Played by my friend Sarah Carnes, which is very fun. I know her from Seattle. She is great. <laughs> she is great. Um, and yeah, honestly, we didn't see Laura die. So anything is possible. Um, and I, I passed along the fact that she was mentioned in the Q&A to Sarah. And that made her really happy. So thank you for asking. <laughs> I, no, I would love to bring Sarah back. because It was just so much fun working with her on those episodes. And Yeah, and that was her first voice acting. She's done a bunch of stage acting. So that was really, really great to include her. Hey, Sarah, if you're listening. Hello, <laughs> thank <Sarah>. you. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Okay, so Trevor, we've got a doubleheader question for you. This is from Aries and Anonymous. Uh, So what are the most challenging aspects of editing? And also, what were the difficult moments to design and edit sound for in season two? And why were they difficult? Yeah. Okay. So I'll answer the first one first. Um, most challenging thing in the editing process for me is the dialogue edit. That's what takes the mm. most time and is generally the most frustrating for me. Um, I love. I don't want. Th- I don't want that to say sound like I don't like everyone's performances or I'm frustrated with you know what we get out of the recording sessions. I love what we get and I love finding those moments in the recording. But it is a lot of work and a lot of time just sifting through all of those um, and you know tweaking like timings of lines by, you know, milliseconds and listening over and over again to get the, you know, the feel and the tone and the pacing of it completely right. And it's just a lot of work that to me doesn't feel very creatively fulfilling um, compared to the rest of the editing process and the rest of the sound design stuff. Um, Mm. It is obviously necessary. And, but there's a reason I do that first is, you know, it's the, you know, eat the frog thing, do the most difficult bit, you know, at the start and, then you get to have fun with the rest of it um, and it goes faster. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, that's the most challenging part overall for me, you know, just is that 
just initial stage of getting the episode kind of hammered into shape out of the block of marble that is usually, you know, one to three hours worth of raw audio um, from everyone. Um, but anyway, um, and then in terms of what was the most difficult bit of sound design this season, um, that was almost certainly, uh, is episode 37, uh, like Sweet and Subtle Oh, Fire, the right? Mind Monster? Yeah, yeah, the Mind Monster yeah, episode. Yeah, 36 and 37. Yeah, yeah, 37. Yeah. Well, thirty. the end of 36, because um, getting that um, the monster sound uh, right took a lot of time just moving back and forth and trying different things and mashing different elements together until it vaguely worked. Um, and then going into 37 with a whole lot of very specific action, including that mind monster, including two of those mind monsters who had to sound vaguely different. And yeah, that was an incredibly challenging episode to get together. One of my favorite of the season, but yeah, an incredibly challenging thing to get done. Um, yeah, I remember when you said like the number of uh, noises or animals that were involved in that. It was like listening to a Lou Bega song. It's like <laughs> Mambo number five of sound design. <laughs> yeah, it at least has, it does have a like a coyote howling in there along with human screams, an orca, metal scraping, a little element. bit. Of- <laughs> yeah, just all kinds of <laughs> human scream in my life. <laughs> All just reversed and piled on top of one another and mixed and matched until it doesn't sound like anything except horrible. Um, just, just pure liquid horrible. Um, but in just the right way. Exactly. It's what we need for the episode. And then uh, and then the other most difficult moment is what I call the monster mash in episode 50. Um, mm, when yeah. all of the creatures in the cages uh, emerge and are attacking Morrison and I have to make a whole bunch of very different sounding characters all audible and make the action vaguely clear i mean it's obviously chaotic but it was just so many elements piled on top of one another just trying to get it to be cohesive and not just be a wall of noise completely um that was i was impressed that you that you managed to make those all like you could hear all of the bits it took a while of this (laughs) yeah that was that was incredible that was quite difficult to get done but i was really proud of it and really proud of that episode in general um in terms of sound design um Mm -hmm. And then another one that was difficult just for a very different reason was um, episode, sorry, episode 40, the uh, karaoke episode, Um, just because there were so many specific and small, normal human noises in that um, to get the action right. Um, And it was very different from basically any other episode we had done um, in terms of how, you know, in terms of setting, in terms of action, in terms of the tone of it. that was definitely a challenge to you know shift out of horrible monster mode into almost kind of slightly sitcom mode for a while. Um, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, our little foray into a regular dramatic episode. <laughs> yep, yep. With that supernatural splash at the end, yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to move on to question eight. This is for Ami. Uh, what was it like getting to include bits of yourself and your family in 31 uh, from Anonymous? And maybe you could also, if you want to, talk about um, the things that made it in that are from your life, if you want to. <laughs> well, we do have some expressed favorites over the things that were included in, such as, you know, the anti-kidnapping training, which was actually a thing. Yes. Um, No one was allowed to go over to a friend's house overnight until you had received the training. And it updated every year. Um, And actually, it's pretty uh, pretty useful stuff. Um, Anyways, (laughs) that was one. 
And of course, the quintessential dad catchphrase, be good. If you can't be good, be careful. If you can't be careful, don't get caught. And I may have grown up hearing it multiple times a week, every single year, forever. But every time I hear it, I still fall for the pause between the lines. You have to deliver it, you know? You have to say each phrase like it's its own phrase. And uh, then pause so the person thinks you're just saying, be good. And no one tells me to be good. I'm I Not that I'm not good, but no one tells me to be good. That... That is not something that I enjoy. <laughs> and then, oh, okay, careful is a little bit better. I mean, as uh, anyone who knows me will attest, careful is not something I am naturally. In- is it even a word in your vocabulary? <laughs> <laughs> I know what it means. It's just there's exciting things to do, and you have to do them. Um, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. So careful is a little better, but still like... You don't tell me to be careful. I'll be not careful if I want to be. And then when it wraps up with the, and if you can't be careful, don't get caught. That's just, okay. Okay. I can do that. Doesn't specify don't get caught by what, but it could be anything. (laughs) Anyways, that was my favorite part to kind of put in. And I actually asked my dad if he was okay if it was, you know, put in the show in a form or another. Because I tried looking it up one time and... I couldn't find anywhere else that he could have gotten it from. And that's saying something Mm. because I grew up without watching a lot of television and my dad grew up with watching a lot of television. So there were a lot of things he said growing up that I thought were dad-isms. And it turns out they were just Yoda-isms, actually. And I didn't learn that till high school. (laughs) That's great. So I looked it up. I was like, is this copyrighted? Because it could be. And uh, I don't think it was. So that was rather exciting. <laughs> um, that is excellent. And it was kind of like like putting everything. That's amazing. Right? I didn't think so in the moment because I'd been repeating them to people my entire childhood as dadisms, actually. And nobody right. told me anything. <laughs> of course. But putting those things. Oh, my dad and, is like, Yoda. Yeah. Things that I had into the show itself. It was like when something takes the first step into becoming a thing like something starts off isolated in a single happenstance or a single circumstance and then it spreads a little bit and a little bit more and then someday hundreds and hundreds of years down the road it's just a thing and uh that's kind of Mm. how it is in mythology and it's kind of like seeing the beginning of something many years in the future maybe oh that's beautiful yeah like imagining that these things from your family have started their own little baby myth like yeah yeah that's awesome uh that must have been really cool to perform that stuff as well that was like so personal to you did you find that difficult or was that really fun or both (laughs) it was fun and a little bit scary because growing up you didn't talk about family stuff with anyone except for family Uh, so i actually got my dad's mm -hmm. permission before i spoke about family stuff with people who are not family because that was the (laughs) unspoken rule Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, it kind of made me feel closer to Maria in a lot of ways and harder to distinguish between Maria and like a reaction I would have. Sometimes at work, I <laughs> think, now, do you want to react like Maria would or should you react like a <laughs> calm, rational person would? Don't be the Maria in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. 
Um, okay, let's uh, do question nine. What was the writing process like for this season? And what was it like working as a team from Aries? This is for you and me, Trevor. Um, yeah, so we started off with just a, a series of meetings that were really fun. Our story meetings, just trying to get a handle on like what was supposed to happen by the end of season two and kind of reverse engineering a lot of things. Um, a lot of reverse Trev engineering. <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah. Trevor knew what he wanted the first episode to be with Maria going back to the mirror house. And we knew kind of a couple of the other moments uh, more or less right away and just kind of, yeah, weaving together the story that way. And then at some point we started like picking episodes that we wanted to write or like suggesting uh, like, hey, Trevor, I think you need to write this one because it's like really important affecting these other things in this way. So we just kind of went along. It was like a six week process that we wrote 24 episodes. Uh, it was a lot. Um, <laughs> a little too much, actually. But yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit like I wish we could have taken just just a little bit more time, but we didn't have the time. So we went as fast as we could. Um, yeah. And then we took a little bit of a break over Christmas um, just before diving back in to look at the scripts again and to start like getting recording drafts together for the beginning of production. Um yeah, and Excuse hold on. You, you said in the six months yeah, we did twenty four. We actually did twenty two because we saved the two parts of the finale for oh, yeah, later right. on down the line. Once we kind of twenty two, but yeah. you also wrote four B sides. Well, yes, but as well, those are whatever. That's a very Trevor thing to say. Trevor, oh, stop! I gosh. can't stop. Help! Yep. Help! <laughs> yeah. So yeah, aside from our meetings where we were just uh, discussing a lot of ideas and throwing things out there, getting excited about stuff together, working out problems. Um, we used uh, Trello to stay organized on like where our uh, episodes were at when we needed to record stuff. Um, a lot of Google Docs usage for notes and sharing rough drafts. And uh, yeah, just uh, notes back and forth in, in several different ways and working things out. And we were kind of doing like four processes at once of like different stages of drafts. And uh, that's how that worked. And it was a little bit of a blur, but uh, controlled hey, chaos, <laughs> controlled, vaguely controlled chaos. Yeah. And then about, I think we were probably about midway through the season before I actually started writing the scripts of the season finale. Um, because we really yeah, wanted to yeah. get a sense of, because a lot of what we, you know, things that layers that got built in came through the production process and different takes the actors and in particular Ezra brought to their characters that got incorporated and things that changed as a result of that. Um, yeah, Ezra changed our whole season just a little bit. Honestly. In a good yeah. way. Um, yeah, in, in the best way, way honestly. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then we... Basically, we did the equivalent meeting of what we did at the very beginning of planning the entire season, beat by beat, um, episode by episode, um, for the two parts of the season finale, uh, really just hammering those out structure-wise between the two of us um, to make sure that they that they worked, that they paid off, you know, enough elements of the season that they, you know, one felt earned and two felt like a, you know, a finale. Um, and yeah, so that was a really fun process of finding those those really fun moments like 
the uh, the caramel macchiato scene, or you know, oh my gosh, yeah. Maria whipping out a hammer at the end of the you know <laughs> fight. Just, that was just... that was a last minute addition, and I love that. Oh yeah, that was that, okay. Yeah, and I think no, the one I was really excited about was Maria doing monster voice in uh, episode fifty because that's how we were first introduced mm. to Maria in uh, season uh-huh. one with the uh, the ghostly voice on uh, Anna's podcast. So it was really fun to call back to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was a really fun process, and then. I took those notes and wrote the actual, you know, words of the script. And then Regina and I workshop them back and forth. And Regina had some excellent suggestions on, you know, things to change or moments that, you know, didn't feel quite right for, you know, the ends of the characters arcs for this season. And, you know, we tweaked those things, worked it out. And yeah, I'm really proud of those episodes. So the writing process is all over the place. (laughs) Basically, it's just constant communication. Honestly, Uh, yeah. When working yeah, with multiple writers, that's what you have to do because you all have to be you know, it, it's yeah. it's two different people trying to steer one car. Um, if you're not in sync, it's <laughs> going to spiral off the cliff. Um. Right, right, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's uh, it's been really fun, and I'm super excited to do it again. Yeah. I mean, not quite yet. I still need like a, another few weeks off, but I'm getting there. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> you won't rest, I mean, Trevor. I know you, Trevor. You've got your own stuff to do. So you- <laughs> hold the podcast. Why? Why the heck not? <laughs> yeah, another and, podcast. Yeah, and between the recording the last Q and A and now, Tales of the Echo had hit its funding goal. So, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That is so Super good. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, Jesse Hogan also did the. Uh, he's working on the music for that as well. Uh, I love what we get to hear in the trailer, and it's just beautiful, different than the Sheridan tapes, and with that Jesse flair. So, thanks. That's great. Um, okay, so focusing the spotlight more further on you, Jesse, this next question happens to be for you. Um, are there any moments from season two that made you hear your own music in a new way? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a great question because like what we talked about, I do get to experience my music in the same sort of way that everyone listening does, kind of for the first time, at least in how it works in narratively. Um and the main thing, so bec- when we did the character themes, part of the, I didn't mention this earlier, but part of the reason it was so hard was the characters themselves have, um, you know, their identity, but then we find them in so many different circumstances and so many different moments. We have tender moments. We have like terrifying moments. We have really intense moments. Um, we have happy moments, like everything in between. And so uh, when I wrote um, the, 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 music I heard in a new way was Bill's music. When I wrote Bill's music, I I didn't want, I didn't want to do him a disservice by saying this um, as if he's a real person. (laughs) He's a real person to us. Um, But Bill's character, at least in season one and heading into season two, in my interpretation was a little bit ignorant. Mm. Um, and, And I mean, that plays out a bit in this season too. You know, he stays on the police force kind of just, continuing to believe that that's the right decision and everything that goes into that. And he works through that. And so his music was not childish, but um, sweet, but sort of in a like, like not a la la land way, but you you sort of get what I'm saying. Yeah. A a sort of um, blissful, unaware um, ness of, of sort of the gravity of his situation. And what I didn't anticipate was sort of just how emotional Bill's story was going to be this season. Mm. 
And that same music laid over those emotional <laughs> scenes um, between him and Rob or um, it, as he talks about his past and his family was it just hit me in such a way I never anticipated. Um, and I it was I mean, I'm even getting chills just thinking about it, not because the music is so amazing, but just because <laughs> the story, the story was so much deeper um, and honestly, just more beautiful than I anticipated for his character. And I was just so happy that the music worked behind all of that. And it was it was really a treat to to hear it um, over those scenes. Yeah, th- I, I would agree with that because it does. It has a very light feel, but there is, at least to me, when I hear it, a very much an undertone of sadness behind it, which is that's built to a T. Um, very. Yeah. And almost unin- unintentional. Yeah, but it, when I wrote it, it definitely worked. Mm. Yeah. It's it's like yeah. a little bit like a castle on a cloud from Les Miserables. A little bit. <laughs> this is such sure. a sweet song, but why is so sad? Why am I crying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um awesome. Okay. Next question. Um let's see. This is what was the most challenging aspect of this season to write? This is from Aries. Um for me, the last third of the season was challenging especially the pre-finale episodes, like trying to continue that drama and escalation and keeping our story straight, keeping our timeline straight. Uh, The timeline changed a couple of times. We just kept making it shorter because it didn't make sense why there was like extra like days in the middle of some of these episodes. So we had to shorten that. And yeah, just trying to keep that all straight uh, was tough. I think if I could go back now, I would have spent more time on episode 45. That one was a little tricky for me. Um, yeah, that was uh, the one where uh, Morrison has this encounter with a possessed host and it's um, kind of uh, challenging him and he doesn't like that. So uh, That was also challenging for me. Yeah. What about you, Trevor? Yeah, I'd agree that the lead up to the finale was really kind of challenging to figure out just because we had this big revelation of Oh no, this is what the season finale is going to be about and this is Hold on. Oh. oh. <laughs> Hello, I'm recording. I know, sorry. Sorry, that was uh Conrad just came home from something and let Winnie in and oh, it was getting very clackety out there. Oh, dear. <laughs> we love her. Winnie Winnie is yes, Winnie is the real star Winnie. of the show as we know. Yes. <laughs> Always making an appearance. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm in her crate right now, Jesse. I don't know if you knew that, but Wait, you're not. (laughs) Travel crate. No, you're not. (laughs) No, I am. I'm in her travel crate, and it's very warm in here. (laughs) Oh my! Mobile recording studio. (laughs) Yeah, my mobile recording studio. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I I love the Sheridan tapes, but I don't know if I would get in a dog crate for the Sheridan tapes. (laughs) Only for the Q and A. I couldn't act in this thing. It's too swampy. Oh, anyway, uh, yeah, that, that, the lead up to the finale was really difficult because we had this big revelation that this is what the season finale is going to be about. This is what the big bad is. This is you know what we have to deal with. Uh, and then we have Sam and Maria going off to, you know, put their big solution in place. And, you know, we're going to fix this. We're going to. And it completely fails. And then where do you go from that? Um, and how do you keep that interesting without, you know, interesting and dynamic without the whole thing just kind of stalling out while we're waiting for the finale. Um, that was really challenging to find those ways of continuing the character drama. Really, you know, it really s- slowed back down after that kind of big acceleration into, you know, act three. 
slowed down and really focused on the characters and where they're at and what they kind of, you know, need to learn in order to, you know, be ready for, you know, the confrontation at the end. Um, but that was really challenging to strike that balance without it just grinding to a halt. Okay, so we're moving on to question 12. Where do you get all your sound effects from? Do you make some yourself? This is from Aries. And I'm assuming it's for me. Um, okay, great. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the lion's share of the sound effects for the Sheridan tapes and most of my productions come from uh, freesounds.org, which is a free, you know, library of sound effects, you know, user generated and created by, you know, sound designers, you know, like myself and other people. Um we just put them up there for other people to use under various creative commons and public domain licenses. Um, so I use a lot of stuff out of there. It's, you know, a lot of times it's hunting for very specific effects. Um, though over the years I have built up quite a library of things I, you know, can, you know, kind of generic elements I can reuse and layer as I go. Um, you know, I, I have a few other more professional sound effects libraries I've, you know, purchased over the years, um, or, you know, got from other projects. Um, and then I do occasionally when I need something extremely specific, I do record um, sound effects for myself. Um, it's it, just because of the pace at which we need to put out episodes. I don't do that as much as I would like to. Um, I would really love to do more mm. specific Foley. But uh, the the most obvious example of one that I recorded myself because I couldn't find anything uh, to you know fit what I needed was in the caramel macchiato scene, the sound of Sam trying to fit the entire coffee pot into a microwave. Um, <laughs> I did just record that in my grandma's kitchen um, while she looked on from the other room like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> um, but it was great, yeah. Um, so yeah, I do occasionally record things, but it is mostly, you know, from sound libraries and layering those elements together to create, you know, the sound world of the Sheridan tapes. That's great. I love the just mental image that I have of you, like, panic trying to put the coffee pot in the microwave for foley and you also play sam so it's just like an extension of yeah. your character it, it was fun to do something that about and, that that's delightful yeah. yeah that's a little too much crossover between like you and actual sam bailey the images right, are yeah. fusing together in my head it's fine there's there's that there moment, are very you few are cosplaying yeah. <laughs> yeah it's pretty close already so i whatever so let's talk about question 13 uh, what were some of the themes you wanted to convey with this season and how did you formulate the execution of those themes? Um, I know for what the biggest one was probably character is fate, um, little actions adding up to a result, adding up to something big. Uh, and yeah, kind of reaping what you sow is is kind of how that came out in some ways being torn between two worlds. So there was like Kate's journey, not being at home, trying to find Anna, uh, being afraid of herself, but trying to find herself, uh, finding Anna versus stopping Morrison for everyone. Um, Sam's grief, uh, like leading him to want to exit the world while still wanting to be in the world to find Anna. Um, Maria's grief versus trying to be her own person. Bill is torn in every which way. Um, Ned with Bill versus Ned with Morrison. Like just everyone has different sides this season being torn into. Um, And like all of that uncertainty between those two choices is still a choice and it leads to something. And so I think that's kind of what we were building this season is like even when people uh, seem like they're not able to make a decision. It is still building up to something. Uh, 
good people in a corrupt system. That's another one. Yeah, I'd say a big theme for me structurally, um, we talked about this sometime, was, you know, things that are, you know, hidden away or, you know, concealed, you know, those layers of characters that are being revealed as their kind of public faces, you know, fall away and we get to see more of their character and who they are at a deeper level, which is where the character's fate thing comes in for me is, you know, the idea of uh, does the person you are at your core determine what's going to become of you? And, you know, um, you know, we played with that and variations of that a lot in the series. And, you know, on that same level, you know, Morrison very much, you know, and both Morrison and Ned and, you know, they both have very much faces that they are putting on for, you know, the rest of the world where there is this other layer behind that that's slowly chipped away and revealed. And there were a lot of, you know, stories that were about, you know, things being, yeah, pulled away and like the, the truth behind them being revealed. Um, obviously, that played into where we knew the season was going and, you know, the things would be revealed. And yeah, kind of the, we were in this halfway point between where season one ended and kind of the, you know, revelations that would lead us into where the rest of the series is going. So we, you know, played into that really and how we designed the the arc of the season as a whole and a whole bunch of the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And we tried to work that into like um, the kinds of things that people would be encountering and like the things that it would drag out of their subconscious. Like a lot of the monsters this episode were like dragging the subconscious out. So so for Trevor and I, we can say like what were our favorite episodes to write, and then let's talk about our favorite episodes generally because this is fun stuff to talk about. Um, for me, my favorite ones to write were thirty three Priestly Altar, Saintly Grave with the Mushroom Cult, and thirty eight Beneath an Unknown Sun with uh, Sam Bailey in the woods with the ladders and with the Lovecraft story haunting him and seeing Alan in the sunset. So those are my favorites and they're very different. And that's why I like them a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I think the episodes I'm, that were the most fun to write and that I'm most proud of were probably the two parts of the season finale. Um, you know, I will show you fear in a handful of dust. I'm really proud of both of those episodes um, in particular, how different they feel um, while still being one, you know, cohesive, unit as the seat uh you know the season finale um and then continuing on i'm also really really i had a lot of fun writing uh episode 48 um your shadow at evening uh the episode that really focused in on bill and rob and that you know kind of letting that you know tension that's been building all season finally come to the forefront and be resolved in a way I was really, really happy with and was just really emotionally satisfying to write and then to hear them perform. Um, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I've just picked the last three episodes of the season, but I was, yeah, just, I had a lot of fun writing those. Yeah. Yeah. You, you should be proud of how those came together. I think they're some of the strongest Thanks. in the whole show. Did you have any favorites, Jesse? Yeah. I, was the latter one the bleeding trees? Uh, no. Yeah. Oh, wait. No. no. no the, the bleeding trees was uh, forty-two. Ash has gone cold. Yeah. That was forty-two. Okay. I love the bleeding trees. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a great episode. I also, honest, it's so, it's so. I almost don't want to say this, um, <clears throat> but so I, my favorite bit of just writing and like storytelling in the whole of the Sheridan tapes is the cold open 
It's the Anne, Bonnie, and Captain. Oh Bennett yes, scene. Yeah. that yeah, Trevor. It is yeah, like it is stunning. It's just so. It's one of the most immersive. It's just, I just I just it's just. Oh, I, mm-hmm. um, I was so terrified that wasn't going to work because it's like no, I thought it was great. And for those who don't know, like the Homestead on the Corner universe is bigger than the Sheridan tapes. And so if you listen to those one-off stories from the Homestead on the Corner podcast, like you'll you'll start to see themes and and even monsters maybe that sort of exist mm-hmm. in, in every one of these stories. And the Anne Bonnie story I just love. Same. Um and is obviously super relevant to Sam Bailey's yeah. situation. Yeah, that cold open is basically just a, a prose adaptation of like the the finale of that episode, um, which I was really proud of. Exactly. Yeah, writing wise how that came together. I just lo- I just love it. I just love it so much. Yep. Yeah, that's like that st- stunning writing and that you reused uh, sound design from Sirens Gold for mm. that. So it just sounds so mature and professional. It's like, yeah. yeah. And and Aaron's performance, she just knocked that out of the park. Oh, yeah. She crushed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I may be a bit biased, but my favorite episode was <laughs> the one I helped go write. Because it has Excellent. those really cool things about the family in it. And for me, it was kind of, it wasn't the first time I saw Maria as a full rounded character that I could relate to, but it was, it was like the first time I saw her and I looked in her eyes and I thought, this is a person. And then it kind of mm. made all of her journey in this season, for me at least, a lot more personal, a lot more like impactful because she had more depth that i could relate to you know um mm-hmm. so that was that was my favorite episode For sure absolutely uh virginia in terms of uh just favorite episodes in general not you know ones that you, it could be ones you wrote but you know Ooh. just generally speaking <sighs> you know uh well i am like personally i feel really excited by uh the thing that I started to write with Priestley Alter Saintly Grave. And so that that's like up there for me. I'm really excited by the implications of that. And that Amanita is still there at the season finale and all of that. Um, but I also really, really love, um, oh gosh, I think it's, yeah, like Sweet and Subtle Fire 37, where Kate and Bill and Ned are running through the mines and somehow still managing to have conversations that reveal them as characters. Mm -hmm. Um, That is like such a fun one to listen to. And it was like really easy to record. And I feel like you can kind of hear it in our performances. Like it felt like our characters were very upfront. You were all just having fun. So that that's a that's a big favorite of mine there's just so much energy yeah that was one of my favorite like the the, one of the elements that is one of my favorite and surprised me a lot was just how fun the uh the chaotic trio of uh bill kate and (laughs) um ned were in that middle section of this um of the season um that was i i loved that honestly i loved all of those episodes um and i think my favorite episodes of um season two are probably we keep coming back to priestly altar saintly grave but it's just a masterwork honestly um and <laughs> then you. uh episode 40 um the uh, the karaoke uh, the, episode um uh-huh. it was just so different and just again such fun interactions between the three of you um it just felt so real to me so it was great thank you yeah 
That was fun to do music for the karaoke. Yeah. I'm so glad that that worked out. <laughs> it's probably the most different Sheridan tapes. Music yeah, yeah, it, that idea. that is that is that definitely exists outside of the you know musical identity of the show. That's right. It, it That's right. So much. Yep. Just... You don't want more banjo in the show. Something tells me it wouldn't quite gel. Um... <laughs> Maybe that that could mean Ned's instrument. Oh. God. You know I'm going to work it uh, in. Yeah. Gosh. Ha- have you made many karaoke tracks before, Jesse? That is the first <laughs> one. Yeah. You know what? That done. is not the usual call. I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but like um, the way that you put it together, it's like a little bit hard to tell where you're supposed to jump in, <laughs> which kind of lends to it being a little bit chaotic on the karaoke side. But I think that worked. And I was like, I don't know if that's on purpose. Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't on purpose, but, but it worked. Yeah, just wanted to challenge you guys as much as possible. Well, you did. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. That, that was perfect because it's it's like <laughs> it it's funny that they're having a hard time kind of keeping time. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. And when I say they, I of course mean me and uh, Jesse, the real people. So is yeah. part. Is part of the soundtrack release, we're going to release like the actual karaoke version of Rattle and Bog that we did on Sheridan Tapes. Like we need to do it on YouTube with the little jumping, <laughs> the little little bouncing like ball. frog. Yeah, perfect. Oh gosh, maybe someday. Um, okay, so let's talk about what are you all most excited for in regards to the future of the series? Um, let's see. For me, I'm excited to take the story to places that people don't expect. Um, I, oh gosh, we're just going to get to explore weird, creeping, dark things in like slower and more complex ways in season three. Um, Seeing what all of these characters do in the unsettling sandbox that we're building now that we know all of them very well. Um, and I'm also excited in the far future to write our last episodes and cry a lot. So <laughs> I'm like genuinely excited for that. Yeah, no, I'm really yeah. I I know I, we, we, we know where the series is heading and that's going to be those are going to be some special mm-hmm. episodes. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say probably the single thing I'm most excited about, particularly about season three, is getting to dig into kind of sides of Anna that we haven't seen before. A lot of the focus for season two Mm. shifted away from Anna and towards um, the rest of the supporting cast. Um, Season three, we're going to have a lot of opportunities to tell stories about uh, Anna kind of later in life, like shortly before she disappeared and what she was doing with Ren. And, you know, we got kind of a taste of it with um, the Aspen Trembles where her kind of, you know, mental state was, you know, during those last few years and really being able to dig into what led her to make all of these decisions that kind of led these characters to where they are now and started them all on this journey. And what does that mean for, for them and the world? And, you know, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Um, yeah. You can kind of like hear her paranoia at the end of that tape a little bit. And then like the fact that dreams are haunting her, which is what happened in the B side time as well, which I love that. I love that one so much. That side of, um, Havana is very different from kind of the happy-go-lucky adventurer we've seen for, you know, a large part of the series where just, you know, throwing herself into incredibly dangerous situations and coming out unscathed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, what what that side of her is and be able to explore more layers to Anna and get to, you know, see more of who she is. So 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about future seasons, so I am purely <laughs> speculation, and I have loads of loads of ideas, but I'm particularly intrigued how at the very end, as they're talking to Ren and they're all kind of like, you've left us in this van forever. Maria doesn't really act like she knows Ren at first, and I didn't know she knew him. And then I realized it was very much the, oh, I know you. Oh, me and Anna have been on dates with you and your significant other. And like, okay, I didn't know that about Maria. How's this going to develop in the future? What does this mean? Are they actually mm. secretly friends? Maybe. I don't know. So I can speculate. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, I'm just really excited to see how this more emotionally healthy Maria interacts with other people. Um, as I've said before, right. with real people emotions, which can be scary. <laughs> <laughs> and just to see where it goes. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, Ren and Maria's uh, personalities clash. Because we got a taste of that in this, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna it's going to be a lot of fun i feel <laughs> yes everyone's personalities clash oh yes um, <laughs> yeah yeah i feel i'm excited it feels like at the end of season two a story which so far has felt it's been blooming like it's been opening up but it's felt very inward this whole time um mm. i mean mm-hmm. f- from starting at a desk with a cassette player and Sam to you know some powwows in Jerry's house <laughs> with the whole crew it, but now like revealing this sort of larger conspiracy that it just it feels like the whole world is getting bigger and opening up mm-hmm. yeah it's just been completely blown open by Ren wandering in at the end <laughs> exactly and that's like that's just so thrilling um especially because we have spent all that time with the characters in those deeper more personal moments now to see that Oh, you know, see them run um, and see the world get bigger. And that's exciting musically as well, too, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we went bigger places musically with some of the music we incorporated into the end of season two than we had in the yeah. past. Um, and that's that's always yeah, exciting. For sure. Oh, I loved the the music that Trevor used in uh, 50 where there's like these like heavy hits and it's like yeah. oh, so anxiety inducing and fantastic well when jesse sent me that one that was one he didn't design for the sheridan tapes um but it was just an extra piece of music he kindly let us use um but he's funny he said it's like this might be a little bit too big um you know so (laughs) that's what i said yeah (laughs) but i finally find a moment that was as big as that um and it totally worked which it's just so exciting too just to think of yeah where where things can go Mm -hmm. like that yeah yeah. Awesome. I'm really yeah. excited to keep telling this story. Yeah. Um, and then our final question is, what's a word that you could describe season three with if spoilers can be avoided? I have a word. Do you have a word, Trevor? I, I think I might have a word. Um, okay. I'll go first so you can have the, the final say. My word is corrosion. Mm, nice. I, you know, I think my word is dread just dread because <laughs> they're i they're yes. from what you know we've been thinking of themes and where it's going to go and end up we're going to be really deepening that sense of just creeping dread that's always been there with the sheridan tapes of something is coming um so yeah i'm really excited <laughs> to dig into that 
All right. And with that, that's a cute <laughs> fear. <laughs> of a, yeah. On the last note, remember, it is still a horror podcast. <laughs> right. Just, despite all the very sweet moments in this show. Yeah. It's interesting how life is a lot like horror, isn't it? <laughs> i mean you are sitting in an animal cage you're right um despite despite all my rage i'm still just trapped in a dog crate yeah (laughs) yep yep excellent thanks for including me guys um thank you to everyone who is listening to the show and offering support you make it worth it See you guys later. All right. And with that, we are going to call it a night and call it a call it a day for the end of the season Q&As. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Thank you to everyone who listens and supports us and makes what we do possible. We all love telling this story and we could not do it without all of you. And I couldn't do it without all of you on this call. So thank you very much and take care of yourselves. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 